Welcome to Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, Paradash Radio. I'm Salim Sitarwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Shield Jr. How are you doing, Edward? I'm doing really well. A lot has happened since we last recorded our our show with Stacey King, and I'm just ready to get into it. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, excited about everything that's going on with the Bulls, and I'm especially excited about uh, Jimmy Butler finally getting to the NBA Finals. I know it's been a a long redemption story for him, and uh, you know I'm a I'm a passionate Jimmy Butler fan, and I'm I'm kind of like a mess on Twitter, just tweeting about <laughs> him every five minutes. Yeah, uh, how how are you feeling about that? I'm glad Jimmy made it to the finals. It's a really great story, and it's been great to see his leadership continue to evolve over the last three or four years. And yeah, he deserves it. I mean, the way he's uplifted this Miami Heat team and the way their culture and organization has been a fit for him is, is really great to see. Yeah, 100%. Like, the the way that team is built around him is, it fits him really well, but at the same mm-hmm. time, he brings out the best in everyone around him there. So that's it's really great to see that. Uh, in general, yeah, it's definitely exciting times for Bulls Nation with the hiring of Billy Donovan. Uh, to help us talk about his hire and the media uh, Zoom presser that uh, he did with a bunch of different media members is Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago. Hey, Rob, how are you? I'm uh, I'm good. It's uh, it's good to be on with you guys again. I think it's my third time on the program. Uh, one of my favorites to go on. So, um, yeah, good, exciting times, busy times in Bulls world between the Billy Donovan hire, which, you know, we were all waiting for that coach shoe to drop. Um, the draft combine, we're recording on a Monday. Uh, the draft combine started today. Uh, that's exciting for a number of Bulls reasons. Um, and then the Jimmy Butler thing, it's uh, it's maybe a little bittersweet, I think, for some. I, I think I agree with you guys that I, I couldn't be happier for Jimmy. Uh, nobody works harder. Nobody really deserves to get that last, that last laugh um, more than he does. Um, so that's all, you know good and fun too and the nba final should be exciting him versus lebron uh but yeah ultimately uh ultimately pretty good how about you guys yeah doing well doing well you know i think i personally was pretty surprised with uh the signing of when it happened for billy donovan that is uh, i know you know we saw the report a couple of weeks ago that well, like from Woj, he tweeted that the Bulls would reach out to him because there was interest on the Bulls' side. Uh, but I didn't really think much of it because I just assumed, you know, Don, Billy Donovan would hold out for a, a job that for a team that has more playoff potential, um, maybe like Indiana Pacers that were the fourth seed last year, and then definitely teams like uh, a team like the Sixers who have two what arguably two top 15 top 20 players on their roster uh you think that he'd want to do you know kind of go in one of those ready-made situations but it 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 ended up being where you know ak had his eyes set on getting billy donovan on the bulls radar and and i well i should say that even though donovan the bulls weren't on donovan's radar ak had him on his radar and, you know, went out and was able to convince him to sign with them. So what what was your uh, first reaction when you saw the signing uh, for uh, Billy Donovan? Yeah, I mean, my first reaction was surprised too. Um, because like you said, after that initial Woj report of, 
yeah, the Bulls are expected to pursue him, which is, you know, a little bit vague. Um, there just wasn't much buzz about him um, for the next couple days or weeks, or I can't remember the exact timeline after that. So to see that that bomb drop from Woj, it was a little surprising. Um, I felt a little bit better about being surprised by it, and I think a lot of people um, on the conference call did too, because it seemed like listening to Billy Donovan talk, he was surprised by it too. He said um, he wasn't really thinking about the Bulls as a potential destination for him. Um, when he parted ways with Oklahoma City, not in a bad way, not in that he would be averse to the Bulls job, but he was just, you know, processing the end of his Thunder tenure. And I think there was a lot of, you know, uh, emotional processing that goes with that as any life transition does. Um, but, you know, Arturis Karnaschovas, he didn't know he was going to become available. And when he did, he moved quickly. Um, according to the timeline that Donovan kind of laid out for us, uh, he had parted ways with Oklahoma City on a Monday, I believe. And then either within the next day or the day after that, um, Arturis Kershaw was on the phone trying to find a time for them to meet, for them to talk over the Bulls situation. Uh, and then within a week, they were, you know, in Florida meeting in person for five to six hours. And then the week after that, he's hired. Um, so I, I just I, I think it's a really interesting uh, study in terms of, like you said, Salim, I think, you know, the the prevailing school of thought it was one that I subscribed to is that a coach of Donovan's um, achievement uh, hitting the market in a in a market where, you know, openings like Indiana um, are vacant. Uh, Houston, New Orleans, um, Philadelphia. I mean, these are really attractive roster situations to win now. Um, teams with superstars now uh, and set up. I mean, Philly's got a kind of a hell of a cap sheet, but for the most part, those teams are set up for success in the near term um, and possibly in the in the in the long term as well. So I, I'm a little surprised that the ultimate decision for Billy Donovan was the Bulls. But when you listen to him talk about the way that Arturis Karnaschovas pitched them and the vision of the franchise and the way that he they can kind of partner uh, to build this program, it kind of makes all the sense in the world in hindsight. And I think, you know, people should be excited about it. I, I really do think, you know, the Doc Rivers news just broke today. That's maybe a what if that we could um, explore and be speculative. But I, I think at the time that the hire was made, it was the best hire the Bulls could have made. Um, I think it's hard not to be, you know, excited about it and all of the, the little subplots that it, that it pushes forward to in terms of, how much it costs to get Billy Donovan, the fact that ownership was willing to, to, to open the checkbook in that respect, um, and on down the line. I just think it's hard not to be um, feeling positive about the Billy Donovan hire, uh, at least a weekend. You know what stood out to me about this hire is when you look at Billy Donovan, not even just at the professional level, but when you look at him at the college level, you never really looked at a Billy Donovan team and thought to yourself, Man, they should they should be a lot better than what they were. He got the absolute most out of every team he coached, especially in the NBA. You look at the his first year was with the last year of Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, that core. They won 55 games. And you look at all the groups afterwards, and it was anywhere from about 44 to 49 wins. And the most impressive thing to me about that is they were all different teams. Again, the KD team in year one, then the Russell MVP year in year two, where the team was just squarely built around him. Then they add Paul George in year three. Then you had, uh, one of those had uh, Carmelo Anthony on it. And then of course, in year five, you have a completely different team that a lot of people thought was going to be a rebuild. And it is a rebuild, but they were good last year. Like they were a good team. And they had all of these assets as well. So they overachieved remarkably last year. So 
that's what's been impressive to me about Billy Donovan is just how much he gets out of his teams. And do you think that is a part of why he was so appealing to Arturis Karnishevis? Because the the problem with these Bulls teams for the last three years is, yes, there is talent here. And no one's going to say that this talent is capable of winning an NBA championship anytime soon. But this is a team that should be playing a lot better than what they have been. And Karnishevis wants to see them maximized at least to some level, like Billy Donovan has his teams in the past. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that was um, almost the entire consideration, really, if you break it down, um, because the Bulls' biggest need. I mean, you could look at you could look on the roster. Oh, there, there's a need for you know depth on the wing, a small forward. Oh, you know they were a poor rebounding team, or maybe they could use a lead guard, playmaking type to kind of tie pieces of the roster together. I think those are all. Um, you know, valid things to point at, but the biggest thing that this organization needs in terms of moving forward into the future is an ability to develop talent in their own building. I mean, that was the biggest problem last year when really everybody, um, I'm not going to hold Kobe white to, I mean, I think he improved throughout the year. I'm not going to say that he regressed or stagnated because he's a rookie, but I think everybody else on the roster outside of Zach Levine, whether it be due to injury, whether it be due to usage um, or anything along those lines, either regressed or stagnated. And that's a problem when you talk about a team um, that a lot of people, Arturis Karnaschovas included, seem to think have you know more young talent than the results have borne out over the last few years. Um, Billy Donovan's track record as a player development uh, person, like you said, uh, and in the college ranks developing, you know, you can go down the list of all the NBA talent that he helped develop there from Bradley Beal, Joaquin Noah, um, Al Horford. I mean, there's a Corey Brewer. There's, there's, there's a laundry list to go down there. Um, and then in Oklahoma City, um, I think I think you could make the case that perhaps those Russell Westbrook, Paul George teams underachieved a little bit relative um, to expectation. Uh, I'm not going to hold his feet to the fire over, even if it was a blown 3-1 lead, losing to the 73-win Golden State Warriors. I don't think any reasonable person would. Um, and then, like you said, last year, that Oklahoma City team, um, to me, was his most impression, impressive coaching job of his career, at least that I've studied. Arturis Karnaschova seemed to think something similar, and a lot of people agree with that point. Um, because not only did he take one of the younger teams in the league and a team that people, you know, pegged with less than a 1% chance of making the playoffs and coaching them to a 50-win pace uh, in a tough Western Conference, the way that he did it is a way that I think is very transferable to the Bulls. You listen to his old players talk. You listen to the way that he talks about player development, and then you look at the results on the floor. Um, He just seems like he's someone who's very attuned to his players' needs, his players' strengths, the way his players are comfortable playing. Um, and the styles that his teams play seem to be built around that. Um, I think that's something that was missing from the Bulls last year. I think anybody who paid half attention to the team um, kind of noticed the the narratives around the way that, you know, Jim Boylan and company kind of wanted to play and how maybe it rankled some players, rubbed them the wrong way or put them in um, kind of inflexible playing positions. Larry Markin, and we just talked to him um, today after Bulls practice and the uh, Advocate Center minicamp that they're doing. And he even hinted at it. I mean, Lowry's never going to come out and bash anybody and, um, or anything like that. But he did hint at the fact that, yeah, I, I do feel like I could have been utilized in a little bit more of a versatile way within the offense last year. Um, those are things that he hinted at throughout the season. Um, and now that Billy Donovan is in town, he said, Lowry, that he had talked to Billy Donovan. And Billy had already asked him, hey, where do you like the ball? Um, how can we get you on the move? What are your spots? How do you want to play? Um, so I just think, you know, that coaching style combined with, Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley making clear from the jump that they want this to be a players first organization moving forward. 
Um, I just think it, it's easy to see how that the idea of a partnership between those two sides uh, became like an easy fit or it, may, it seemed like an easy fit, even though um, they didn't necessarily know each other going into the interview process. Um, and I just think it bodes well when you think about the way that the modern NBA has trended. Um, it's all about player empowerment. It's all about, you know, putting players in the best position to succeed. And that's how cultures are built. And in the Bulls case, that's how hopefully their reputation can turn um, from being a place that, you know, signed Thad Young. And then two months into his tenure, he was leaking uh, to the press, you know, displeasures with his playing time allotment and the way he was being used, um, you know, turning from that to, you know, potentially a free agent destination, potentially just a place where players can look at um, and say they do things the right way. They are able to bring people into their building and put them in positions to be elevated. Um, and the success is there on the court too. So we got a lot of bridges to cross before we get to that point. Um, but certainly, certainly I agree with you, Edward, that um, Billy Donovan's player development track record, and not only the results, but the way that he approaches it, uh, which is very players first. I mean, that had to be the biggest thing that Arturis Karnaschov was led with um, when he met with him, because that's just something that the Bulls really, really badly need right now, to be to be totally honest. So you, you did touch on uh, Larry mentioning how he felt like, you know, he was misused last year. And um, I think other players have also expressed their frustrations of last season as well. But do you think there was maybe a little, a lot of, a lot of subtext with some of the stuff that AK and even Billy Donovan were talking about, which, you know, directly maybe critiquing Jim Boylan and how he handled the roster last year? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think there's subtext to everything. And especially as we kind of analyze the Billy Donovan fit, the only thing we can directly compare it to is Jim Boylan. So any, you know, any praise for Billy, any uh, projection of how well he's going to do, all you could do is hold it um, against Jim. Uh, I try not to read too much into it because I just think the way that Arturis and Mark seem to want to conduct business, the way Billy Donovan seems to want to conduct business. And honestly, the way that players on the Bulls roster seem to want to conduct business from Zach Levine to Lowry Markin and to Kobe White, all these guys, um, they're all just pure professionals. It's honestly pretty amazing for such a young team um, to be as, you know, um, astute and as kind of aware of the way that their words can be perceived as these guys are. Um, so nobody's really come out and said anything overly negative about Jim. Now, I don't know what's in anybody's heart. Um, so, you know, there could be anything, you know, stewing around in there um, from that. But I, I think the focus just seems to have been on the future and looking forward. I think, um, you know, it, again, like I said, it's hard not to still bring up the Jim Boylan era because um, it's still the last Bulls basketball that we've watched was under his watch. Um, that's still the last frame of reference that we have for a lot of these players. And, you know, there has to be something to compare the Billy Donovan era to, at least in the beginning stages before we actually get games. Um, but I, I, I'm not sure. It's possible. But I do think I would be shocked um, if Jim's name is really one that is uh, brought up for too much longer um, in terms of these conversations. It's kind of just we're getting through the wave of initial reaction to it. It's still pretty fresh news um, in pandemic times. Um, but certainly, you know, it's just noticeable or it's notable um, that all of these tenets, all of these new philosophies that are being introduced to the Bulls, you know, being a player's first program, being adaptable to players' needs, um, you know, things along those lines. It is just kind of revealing that all of these things that are being said feel like, you know, the clearest breath of fresh air of all time after what Bulls fans were kind of watching um, for the last year or two. Um, I think that's revealing in and of itself, but, you know, I nobody's ever going to come out and, and really draw that line um, in the sand. 
uh, as clearly as maybe some fans might want, or maybe some might want to get closure. Um, I think it's really a future focused approach. Um, but you know, it's going to be an inescapable comparison to make for sure. You know what comparison I think is interesting is when you think back to when John Paxson took over the Bulls in 2003 and his first head coach hire was Scott Skiles. And Skiles at the time was a pretty successful coach in Phoenix. And I I forget his winning percentage, but I want to say it was about 60 percent close to what Billy Donovan's is coming off or coming out of Oklahoma City. So. I bring that to say that this is the right hire in the right moment to get a really successful head coach who has, as we already talked about, has maximized the talent on his team. So with that comes the question of what is his team? So when Scott Skiles took over the Bulls, we saw gradual progression of a team that really fit his hard-nosed defensive style of play. So when you were talking to Billy Donovan and did, did you get sort of an idea of what type of identity this team will gradually shift to under him and in corner shows? Because right now, this Bulls team, it, it doesn't really have an identity. And that's one of the big things that they're going to need to develop in order to take a step next year. Yeah, not, not having an identity is a point that I, I definitely agree with. Um, with this team. And I think that was kind of a, a big problem with last year was the, the, the process of trying to manufacture an identity for a team um, with that, with which that identity didn't fit naturally. I mean, I just think that bore out in the results um, in terms of Donovan's play style. I, I think, you know, in, in, as it relates to this player first approach, this player collabor- uh, collaborative approach um, that he seems to take at every stop, you know, when, when we try to, uh, you know, pin him down to a style of play, you know, what are your philosophies? Um, you know, what, what do you think of pieces on the Bulls roster? Um, things along those lines. I, I mean, he was complimentary of uh, what we could call, quote unquote, the core four of, of Zach Levine, Larry Markin, and Wendell Carter Jr. Um, and Kobe White. Um, he was complimentary of, you know, veterans like Thad and Otto Porter Jr. Um, Ryan Archidiakono is the guy he recruited. So there's some familiarity there. Um, but even with that level of familiarity, the one thing that he made clear, at least, you know, what, uh, almost a week ago at this point, um, was that it's going to take time talking to everybody on the Bulls roster before that style of play um, concretely emerges. So I- I'm not sure how much of the way that his past teams have played uh, we should be able to project onto this current Bulls roster yet, other than little individual things like, you know, I look at the way that, you know, Billy Dobbin worked with. Um, big men like Joakim Noah and Al Horford in the past. And, you know, you can't help but draw the Wendell Carter Jr. comparison there. Um, you know, the, or the, the three-guard lineup potential. I mean, that was one of his grandest innovations with Oklahoma City last year. That three-man grouping of Dennis Schroeder, Shea Gildas-Alexander, and Chris Paul um, was obviously one of the more efficient three-man groupings in the, uh, in the NBA, the Bulls. Um, you know, depending on where they go in the draft, there could be some configurations with their roster where uh, maybe a similar style of play works. I think we're just going to have to wait until um, Billy Donovan gets more acquainted with the roster itself and with individual players. I think that's going to be important to him as he's crafting this thing. Um, in terms of reputation and evergreen philosophy, though, uh, I do think he's more of an offensive-minded coach. That is something that seems to permeate um, his career. And he did mention, um, kind of echoing Arturis Karnaschovas when he was first hired, he did echo um, a commitment and a desire to 
to have an offensive system predicated on ball movement, player movement, fluidity. Um, I think as opposed to last year where it seemed like um, the offense kind of ran through um, whatever the ball dominant guard was that was on the floor, whether it be Zach Levine, Kobe White, um, Thomas Sadoransky was near the top um, of this team in touches when you, when you break it down um, in that aspect. I do think maybe we could expect to see a more democratic offense um, moving forward, just in terms of spreading the ball around and quote unquote playing together. That's a word that players and uh, Billy Donovan have used uh, pretty routinely um, since, uh, since his hiring. Um, so I think those things, those like very basic fundamental principles, um, maybe we could expect to see bear out. I mean, I think such an adjustment could only help the Bulls because at this point, the way the roster is constructed, there isn't that one person that can, you know, score, play, make for others and do all of those types of facets of the game at such a high level that you would run an offense through them possession by possession. Um, I think there is a little bit more of a, a democratic philosophy that can be taken over here that would probably uh, benefit everyone involved. So in terms of basic philosophies, that what I'd say, that's what I'd say. Uh, but ultimately, ultimately, we probably have to wait for, um, you know, Philly to be able to get in the same room as these guys or get on the phone with them on a routine basis, even see how these workouts pan out at the Advocate Center, um, and then allow him to craft the nitty gritties um, of his play style, you know, based on the player's strengths and, and player's comfort levels. I know there was a little talk about how he might fill up the his bench. Um, not know not necessarily maybe at the presser, but uh, there was some rumors flying around that maybe he would bring in uh, Mo Cheeks back to to town as far as being him being a Chicago guy. And then obviously there's uh, Chris Fleming and and Roy Rogers who are still with the team. Uh, how do you think you know, the 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 rest of the bench will be filled out? And as far as uh, who the assistants might be. And I know, like, obviously, uh, AK and Eversley have added, you know, develop player development coordinators and things like that, but that's not necessarily assistance to, to Billy. So how do, how do you think that's going to uh, transpire as, as we further get into uh, this offseason? Yeah, yeah, it was a question asked at the presser, but like you said, it wasn't addressed in depth. It was kind of a, that's eh, too early to really tell um, type of answer. Um, he, he, Billy Donovan did say that he's going to consider all the people currently on the bull staff, um, as well as external candidates. So, um, again, just a process of, you know, we'll have to see, um, how the relationship building process or how the process of getting to know people like Chris Fleming, people like Roy Rogers, um, we'll have to see how that evolves. Um, I don't know, because I think, um, if we've learned anything about our tourist Karnaschovas to this point. Uh, in terms of how he operates, it's that everything is kept pretty close to the vest. Um, I mean, we've talked about how the Billy Donovan hire was surprised, uh, was a surprise. Um, even by the time he fired Jim Boylan, that was kind of um, a surprise too. Um, you know, he, he, it seems like he kind of operates in the, in the shadows a little bit. Um, and Billy Donovan did say that it'll be a collaborative process. I mean, that keeps with the partnership team. Um, he'll be working with the front office um, in, in terms of collaborating to make those moves. Um, so I'm not really sure. I mean, Mo Cheeks is a name that's floated around. It makes a lot of sense. Chicago guy. Uh, I think he was with Billy in, in Oklahoma City. Um, and I think, you know, anybody that's a part of that coaching tree um, is someone that, you know, you'd like to, you know, come on over to the Bulls organization. I mean, that's that's not a bad, um, you know, uh, situation or a circumstance from which to draw talent from. Um, so that's certainly a name I'd keep my eye on. But other than that, I, I truthfully don't know. Um, it'll be illuminating though, uh, if he decides to part ways with some of the people already on the bull staff, uh, the one thing I was saying the other day, um, that I think, you know, in, in terms of 
ownership being able to, or having the willingness to open the checkbook for not only the front office hires, but also, you know, Billy Donovan and um, giving our tourists the autonomy to, uh, to separatize the gym, even though they're going to have to eat the last two years of that contract and all the way down the line um, in a pandemic where revenues are hit. Um, I, I do think the one thing that, that fans can take solace in is whatever route um, Arturis Karnaschovas and Billy Donovan decide to go uh, in a vacuum. It doesn't seem like at this point that finances are going to hinder, um, you know, them making the moves that are actually going to put the Bulls in the best position to succeed and, and win basketball games. Um, so I, I don't know what direction that's going to go. Um, but at this point, it seems like the power is fully in Billy Donovan and Arturis Karnaschovas' hands to make those decisions. Um, and to this point, I mean, no games have been played yet. But to this point, uh, in my estimation, they seem like pretty trustworthy uh, hands to be in. So we, we have a head coach now, and obviously the NBA draft is coming up as well, and then free agency. And I, I just asked you about the type of team that they really want to build, but now kind of want to get into like what general expectations are, because as you acknowledge, Billy Donovan, he, he, he left the team that was going through a rebuild, and there were rumors that he did not want to go through all of that and he rejected that two-year contract from Oklahoma City so coming to another team that's in a rebuild is definitely peculiar but I'm sure he was promised that this team is not going to it's not going to be one of those slow rebuild things so it almost puts you in the mindset that Karnishevis thinks that he can like retool on the fly here with this rebuild and get it into a spot where they can really take off so what do you think about just general expectations? Like, do you think this team under Donovan, under Karnishevis and Eversley, that they don't really have to like continue that slow rebuild that at, if they make like the right move, this team can like actually take off a little bit. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's interesting. Cause you know, Karnishevis in Denver, those teams were pretty much built through the draft. I mean, their one free agent signing being um, Paul Millsap. But all the, their biggest free agent signing, that is, um, other than that, it was mostly drafts and trades. Um, but I'll be interested to see kind of now that he's in this big market situation, that he has a little bit of a starting point in terms of young talent and some vets and things like that. I'll be interested to see if, you know, based on the roster decisions that they end up having to make, if Arturis Karnaschov is really is thinking, oh, man, that summer of 2021 is kind of staring us right in the eye. And if we can, you know, have a 2019 2018-19 Nets or Clippers season um, where you make a run uh, at the lower half of the Eastern Conference playoffs um, and you show an ability, you know, uh, like we were talking about earlier, to develop talent in your building, to be a competitive team, to earn the respect of some of those superstars around the league. You know, it could be a pretty loaded class. Um, so I'll be interested to see, you know, in, in the vein of retooling, um, that's the quickest way to retool right there. Uh, but the only way that you can really put yourself in the best position to be a desirable location is to markedly improve next season. Um, now, if nothing were to change about the Bulls roster, except for, you know, the, ex the expected, you know, mid-level exception um, type player, uh, maybe someone to help fill in that three or four spot, one of the forward spots um, where they could use a little bit of depth um, and the number four pick, maybe that second round pick makes an impact. Who knows? But it's not much changes about this roster. Um, between now and the offseason, other than those kind of marginal moves, I still don't see why a 10 to 15 game improvement is completely unreasonable. Um, I mean, I, I've been parroting this as much as anybody that we we can't fall into the trap of, okay, you know, uh, Jim Boylan is gone. The coaching issues are hopefully assuaged. 
and all of a sudden this is a playoff team again. We can't fall fully into that into that trap almost. Um, but at the same time, um, there is an aspect where I mean I, I should actually go back and look at this. I wonder how many games you could literally just tie directly to you know timeout usage or late game execution. Uh, that's another aspect that Billy Donovan's Thunder's team Thunder teams excelled in was um, kind of playing in 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 clutch situations down the stretch of games. I wonder how many of those games you could pull from last year and think, well, if Billy Donovan is in the head seat um, instead of Jim Boylan, do they win that game? Do they win this game? Um, and then you start to stack those up. Um, you know, it, it, it's also a tough calculation in the Eastern Conference because uh, the Wizards are not going anywhere. They'll get John Wall back if they re-sign Davis Bertans and add a top 10 pick. Um, they finished above the Bulls this year, and they'll be crying for a playoff spot. The Nets are obviously poised to make a huge leap with, uh, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving coming back and fully healthy, hopefully for them. Um, you know, the Hornets are, I, I think they're on about, in terms of roster talent, um, they're probably on about the same level as the Bulls right now. Um, maybe you give a slight edge to the Bulls, but they were, you know, they finished around the same part of the uh, standings last year. Um, and even the Hawks and Knicks, I mean, I, I don't necessarily trust that they're going to make huge leaps and bounds next year, either of those teams. But both of those teams also seem to be in retool mode as opposed to really tear it down and rebuild mode um, in the same way that some of these other teams are talking about are. So the Eastern Conference is a tough, it's kind of a tough calculation. I mean, none of those teams are going to be particularly formidable. But if all of those teams are trying to be in the 35 win range, um, it could be kind of a crowded field there. Um, but I, I don't see any reason why, you know, with with more competent coaching um, and with that, you know, you know, player development across the board, if, if guys start to, you know, right their ships and and uh, start back in the right direction, obviously, you know, a clean injury board would help with that, too. You know, I don't see why expecting this team to be in that 35 to 37 win range, which puts you right in the thick of the eight or eight or seventh seed uh, for the Eastern conference. I don't see why that's an unreasonable expectation. The, like I, I know, you know, I know people don't want to fall into the trap again, as a lot of us did off season last off season, but like, would you guys agree with that? Do you think that would be an unreasonable expectation? Yeah, I think, I think that's reasonable. And, but it, it also depends on player development. I think who can improve. Uh, I, I think people are expecting certain guys to bounce back. Uh, and it, it depends on what work they're putting in in the offseason. I know Lowry mentioned he was being misused, but there's there's onus on Lowry, too, as far as how he's playing and certain things that he's doing out there. Um, he's supposed to be, for example, he's supposed to be a shooter, and he he's, he's not a good shooter out there as a three-point shooter. When you look at his shots, like when he's wide open, being like six feet and plus, He's shooting like 37% on those. And now 37% sounds like a good number uh, as a whole. But when you look at guys that are actually like shooters and they're that wide open, it's usually like in the 41, 42 and plus percentage. That's how high they are when they're that wide open. So he has to he has to really look in the mirror and, and also say like, look, what did I do that I could have done better last season and, and take a, a step in there in that regards. And other players too, obviously we have to hope that Kobe can improve his point guard play. Um, I know we, he can score and I, I don't necessarily think that the scoring that he showed was a fluke. Cause I thought his shot mechanics improved as the season went on. I know his spot up shooting is his, his mechanics on his shot were, were smooth, but I felt like when he was shooting like off the dribble, 
uh, his release was a little low, and I feel like he fixed that, and and he had a little higher release. Obviously, Zach needs to you know be probably put more off the ball a little bit, and I don't know how that's going to work out too. So there's a lot of questions in that regard as well. Uh, not to keep, ran- yeah. So and we'll see how that all transpires as well. You know, oddly enough, I think that improvement really comes down to veteran play. And I'm I'm not specifically talking about Tomas Adaransky or Thaddeus Young, but when you look at this team, there are a lot of young players in the rotation. And Sadaransky and Young were really Sadaransky Young and well Porter was out last year for the most part, but you really need that veteran production and that veteran leadership. I mean, you, you look at the NBA playoff bubble and you look at a team like Miami. And you see these young players like Bam Adebayo and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, but they're surrounded by winning veteran players. They're surrounded by Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler, Andre Iguodala, uh, Jay Crowder. They're surrounded by that net of certainty and guys who've been there and done that before. So it's like while, while we want these young players to be put in more practical positions to succeed, I think we also need veterans to really step up and we need veterans on this team that can still play and provide that and and to raise the floor of this team. That way they can have a positive effect on these younger players, because I feel like if we're still in a position next season where this team is saying, hey, let's throw out all these young guys in the same lineup and let's see what they do. I'm not sure how successful that's going to be again. And even when you look at Billy Donovan in Oklahoma City, they had Chris Paul. They had Danilo Gallinari. They had Steven Adams. Those are three really good veteran players. So uh, that's why I kind of wonder if given that we're we're not expecting – there's no way they're going to tank next year. And we know Billy Donovan's not coming here to tank. So it's really just a matter of can we get veterans – on this team that can play. I mean, maybe Otto Porter can bounce back. Hopefully Tomas Adoransky and Thaddeus Young can bounce back. But that's what I think we really need is just that veteran leadership. And I think if they get that, then we might be in business here. And then then we can talk about the young players and how they can raise up from that. Yeah, I, I actually totally agree with everything you said there because I think, you know, one uh, thing Billy Donovan said in his press conference, you know, to belabor that point is um, he said that he thought that the roster featured a nice blend um, of young guys and veterans, but, you know, we thought the same thing going into last year and the problems became, well, Thomas Sadoransky's shooting didn't translate and he proved to not necessarily be that dynamic off the dribble, um, you know, breakdown of defense type of creator um, that people might've thought he was, Uh, you know, Otto Porter Jr. is obviously out the whole year. I think I would expect, I would expect some regression to the mean of, you know, what's, Tomas Sadoransky has been for his entire career next season, but is he the starting point guard um, of, you know, uh, the future necessarily? Like, no, probably not. Um, Otto Porter Jr., I think if he can stay healthy, I just think he's the perfect type of complementary piece in terms of just augmenting everything around him and not needing the ball, um, but making everyone better around him just with his defensive versatility, his jump shooting. Um, I mean, for such a poor jump shooting team in the Bulls last year, they, they really were missing their best. Um, you know, in terms of making wide open threes, in terms of making catch and shoot threes, um, they really were missing their most proven commodity. Um, now, does that turn the whole season around? Like, no, of course not. But it, it, you know, that that's something that would certainly help them next year. 
Um, the Thad Young thing, I, I think he's the most interesting uh, case here um, because while he seems to have held up uh, his end of the bargain in terms of being that veteran leader in the locker room, you know, he garners a lot of respect in that locker room. He does, you know, work with guys like, um, like Wendell, like Daniel Gafford, you know, they've talked about um, his kind of impact on them. Um, he's certainly all class. He's, he's a, you know, consummate professional, but at the end of the day, in terms of like you were saying, Edward, actually being able to play alongside these guys and improve them on the court. Um, I, I think after last year, you have to have questions about if him and Lowry Markinen are two people that can coexist, not just on the floor together, but on the same roster. Um, because if there's one thing, if, if there's one among many takeaways from Lowry's last season, it's that his usage probably has to increase. Um, I think he was about at the level of minutes per game last season that he was his rookie year. I mean, that obviously has to change. Um, but if that comes at the expense of Thad Young's minutes, I mean, he was already dissatisfied with his playing time allotment um, last year, kind of before, you know, a hypothetical Lowry bump. So I think that's one that I will really, really have my eye on in terms of can he coexist actually on the court with this roster. Um, but you're right. I mean, th- that veteran presence did seem to be the thing at least in terms of a steadying presence in games, that did seem to be a, a major missing piece um, for this Bulls team. Um, especially, you know, I, I touched briefly on the um, on the late game execution aspect um, of the Jim Boylan era and of what Billy Donovan can bring. Uh, that's an area where the Bulls really, really lacked last season. Um, and I think, you know, uh, along with coaching and along with some other um, ancillary factors, I, I think the veteran uh, presence and the and like you said, the guys that have been there before. Um, that's certainly uh, a factor in that as well. How how do you see? You mentioned that you you talked to some draft picks today, and like they did the uh, they did kind of like the media rounds today. Like, what was your what were your initial takeaways from all of that? And how do you see this number four overall pick fitting into what the Bulls plan on doing next year? Because again, it's going to be another young player that you're probably going to throw into your rotation. So, like, what what are your all all your thoughts on that? Well, I'll tell you what, I came out loving Killian Hayes even more than I did going in. And I think when you factor in all the smart draft people that love him and even watching, you know, tape myself and looking at some of the numbers myself and kind of looking at his skills and how they might project to this Bulls roster, I think that's a pick that I was certainly intrigued by. After talking to him today, um, he just seems like a really smart player. He seems, you know, everything's kind of cheap talk in these combine press conferences. Um, But he did talk about how he's trying to improve off ball um, in terms of coming off screens and catch and shoot and things like that. Um, in the event that he ends up on an NBA roster um, where he has to play alongside ball dominant guards, um, you know, he talked about a lot about that in response to uh, Wizards reporter Fred Katz, a great, uh, great dude over the athlete, uh, athletic. Um, he was talking about that mostly in response to, to his question about how he might fit with the Wizards. Um, I think a lot of that stuff is translatable to the Bulls in terms of how we'd fit alongside Zach and Kobe. Um, you know, and just that playmaking presence that I think everybody knows this team could use um, to kind of connect all the pieces on this roster, um, that playmaker that sets the table for others, that makes others better. Um, so one takeaway from day one is, you know, I, I loved what I heard from Killian Hayes. Um, he seems like a really thoughtful, um, smart young player um, that I think, you know, while young, he doesn't help with the veteran problem that we're talking about, but could plug some skill set holes for the Bulls. Um, other than that, we talked to um, Jalen Smith and uh, from Maryland and Deke Nyanji. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but from Arizona, those are two maybe um, mid to late first round or second round um, type of guys. Um, we also talked to Lamella Ball and um, his his press conference. I don't know how closely you guys were following that on Twitter as reporters were tweeting stuff out, but 
his press conference was just really interesting. He basically one word answered for 25 minutes, um, <laughs> pretty much denied every, denied having spoken to every team that he was asked about, except for the Knicks, which is, you know, fun conspiracy theory fodder uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, he basically just schooled us reporter types for almost a half hour, um, just kind of like poo-pooing our questions and things like that, which I don't mean to make that sound like it's a bad thing. I thought it was, I thought it came from a place of confidence. Um, and you know, it doesn't make me think any less of him as a, as a person or prospect, but it was just kind of a funny, um, funny kind of indicator of how, uh, empty calories, these press conferences can be sometimes, especially now that they're being conducted over zoom. Um, and it was also funny because my colleague Casey Johnson was the first person to ask a question in that press conference. And he asked Lamelo, you know, had you been in touch with the bulls? Um, and he said, no. And that looked like big news at the beginning of the press conference. But then as you know, eight to 10 other beat reporters asked about their teams. And he just kept saying, no, he even said, I don't know um, about when asked about the Minnesota Timberwolves who won the number one pick. He said, I don't know if he had been in touch with them. Um, he said the same thing about the Charlotte Hornets who won the number three pick. Um, so that was just interesting. Uh, again, like I said, it doesn't really change my opinion of uh, Lamelo as a prospect, um, but it's just an interesting little draft combine day one takeaway. Um, so those are the guys we talked to. Uh, I think in terms of what I would expect or hope that they do at number four, um, whoever it is, I just hope it's someone that fills that playmaking hole. There are a lot of guys that they could do, whether they trade down or stick it for, um, from Halliburton to Denny Abia, um, to Ball, to Killian. Um, there's a lot of guys that can plug that hole, that skill set hole. It's one that I think they need to, um, to address. Um, and that, that that's what I would expect, and that's what I would hope that they, uh, in terms of a direction to go in. Let me ask you, I found it interesting that LaMelo Ball is participating in the Combine. Um, usually when you see guys like him who are pretty much slotted to go top three, um, they don't they don't necessarily go into the Combine because they don't want to hurt their stock. I know, like, you saw Anthony Edwards decide to opt out of the combine, and um, there's a couple other players. I think maybe, like, a guy like Wiseman probably wants to show people uh, and improve his stock because kind of his stock is kind of all over the place. He's, I've seen him at the top four all the way falling, you know, down to 10 even. Uh, depends on who uh, who has him ranked where. But, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that LaMelo Ball is participating in the in the combine. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I think the factor in it, though, is that it's kind of all being done remotely. Um, I think he said that he was broadcasting Zoom-wise from a gym in Detroit. He's, he spent a lot of his um, kind of COVID-19 hiatus time uh, training in Detroit. Um, so I think it's just so easy to hop on those calls that a lot of people um, are doing it. I, we haven't gotten measurements or anything like that yet, but I really do think that'll be kind of the most useful thing that comes out of it from a, from an analysis standpoint as we're breaking all these um, guys down. But uh, this week, it should be interesting. Um, it should be interesting because it's a wide open class, especially for the Bulls, their options. Um, I, you know, I'm sure you guys would agree. I could see them pretty much going any direction in terms of who they might pick or trading up or down when you look at AK and Eversley's histories. Um, so I, I was glad that LaMelo participated because you get to, you know, get a little peek um, into what he's about. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it is It is a little surprising. Maybe it was the international aspect of it. Um, to kind of, you know, uh, you know, plant the flag um, with American media again, um, you know, being back over stateside again. Uh, but, yeah, it was an interesting decision. I, Wiseman, I don't think, is on the docket for this week in terms of draft um, availabilities, um, although I know in terms of other polls targets, I think RJ Hampton is a guy we'll talk to, um, Denny Abia and things along those lines. So, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, it is interesting that LaMelo was, uh, was taking part in that. 
it'll, it'll be interesting to see if if LaMelo did come to the Bulls, given their new, uh, given this front office's focus on players first and trying to be able to, you know, manage that in a more efficient and, you know, better and a more appealing manner. It would be interesting to see how they would handle LaMelo Ball because we know everything that's coming with it. Not to say that he's a bad kid or anything like that, but we know that with the off-court stuff with his father and, you know, all of the other things like that, like he would definitely be a a uh, first-round draft pick with a personality that is not typical of past Chicago Bulls. I mean, that would be really fascinating to see, honestly. Yeah, it'd be fun to enter the the ball the ball universe. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe LeVar would be hanging around the Advocate Center, the United Center. That that would certainly be uh be interesting. I think the one the one level of solace I think with the LaMelo thing was he did at one point it was one of the more candid answers he gave. He did at one point um he was asked by a Warriors reporter, uh Anthony Slater, um, about kind of his LeVar's past comments about the Warriors being a bad fit for him. And um, yeah, I, th- I thought he gave a nice answer about how him and his dad are different people. And um, he's kind of his own person and he thinks he'd fit anywhere and he'll, you know, he'll, he'll do whatever he can, wherever he goes um, to make his team better and, and all uh, things along those lines. So um, I would think that hopefully that would translate, but you're right. It, it would be kind of a never before seen um, kind of level of hype prospect to come into Chicago. Um, like think about the most high profile draft pick of the last, you know, of this century, really, um, you'd say was Derek Rose and he was a pretty unassuming guy, um, all things considered and considering how much of a storybook, um, kind of story he was, uh, being the hometown kid and being the number one pick and forging this, you know, pretty successful era of Bulls basketball, all things considered, um, for injuries hit, um, it would, it would certainly, it would certainly be interesting, but, um, if they are in a situation where they get LaMelo ball, in my opinion, um, they'd be getting the best player in the draft or the best, you know, highest upside prospect in the draft. Um, so I think for that reason, you'd have to be, you'd have to be uh, at least intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. I know you got a lot going on uh, right now with all the news coming out with the Bulls and obviously getting ready for the draft in the next month. Uh, please uh, give us any final thoughts you might have and also plug any articles or anything that you knew that you'd be working on at NBC Sports. Yeah, uh, no final thoughts to me other than go Heat. Um, I think Chicago can be pretty united um, in that for these uh, for this finals run. Um, in terms of NBC Sports Chicago plug stuff, yeah, um, I'll you know uh, writing over at NBCSportsChicago.com. We'll be diving pretty fully into the draft world um, over the next couple weeks and months. Draft still scheduled for November 18th, so hopefully that sticks just so we can uh, you know finally get some closure on that. But that'll be fun. Uh, so NBCSportsChicago.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Rob underscore Shafe. And of course, we're always breaking this stuff down um, over on the Bulls Talk podcast, which is our podcast um, over uh, on NBC Sports Chicago too. Uh, regular appearances by me, by Casey Johnson, Jason Goff, uh, Tony Gill, um, all those guys. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's such an honor to work with them. Um, and yeah, we're always breaking stuff down over there. So that's, that's all I got to plug. Um, thank you guys for having me. It's always fun. It's yeah, always no fun to come on. I appreciate yeah, um, the work you guys are doing. Um and yeah, it was good to talk to you. Yeah, man, we appreciate having you for sure. Uh Edward, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, I want to ask Rob one quick question. It could be a really short answer. So we know everything happened with Billy Donovan really fast. It was what it was like a week or whatever. So let's say Billy Donovan never leaves Oklahoma City or another team snatches him up. Who is your best guess as to who the Bulls would have chosen with the candidates they had? 
pre-Billy Donovan? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I, my gut tells me Wes Unsell Jr., he's actually who I thought was getting the job um, before uh, Billy Donovan was hired. So that would be my best guess for the Karnaschovas uh, Nuggets tie. Um, although I thought you were going to put me on the spot about Doc Rivers now that the news broke today. Ah. Um, and the Clippers are parting ways. Uh, that, that certainly would have been interesting. I don't want to want Billy on Billy Donovan tenure, you know, one week into it. Um, that certainly would have been interesting with the Chicago ties there, but my best guess is West on junior. I would have loved Doc. Rivers. I mean, man, that yeah. would have been a home run hire right there. <laughs> it would have been something. Yeah. yeah. That would have yeah. Been something. You wonder about that for sure. I think I, it, I feel like AK would have had a tough decision because especially with, with what, Doc Rivers ties to Chicago as in general. Forget him being obviously a respected coach, but being the ties of Chicago are there. It would have been very interesting to see what uh, AK would have done. And obviously it also depends off of Doc Rivers. I know coming back home is important to him, I'm sure, but he, I'm sure he wants to also go in a situation that uh, where there maybe there's a more of a ready win team, but then again, that's what we also thought about Billy Donovan. So I guess you never you mm-hmm. never really know. But uh, yeah, anyway, that that's a wrap for today's show. Uh, please give us a follow on uh, on Twitter at Bulls Goal. You can follow Edward at Edward Shula Jr. and me at Jordan Dynasty. Don't forget to tune in every Tuesday morning at a.m. on Dash Radio, nothing but Net Radio Station. In addition, if you've missed any previous shows, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and also please subscribe and rate us a five on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you again to Rob Schaefer for joining us today. And as always, for Edward Schuler and myself, thank you to all the listeners. Till next time, Bulls fans. Peace.